And welcome in everybody to the Sports Hot Dish. I'm your host Kevin, coming to you here from beautiful Houston, Texas. Big welcome in to everybody taking the time to listen to this on what is hopefully a beautiful Wednesday night for you out there in full gamut radio land. Glad to have you folks all aboard with us. And as always, a big welcome in to everybody taking the time to listen to this wherever and whenever you're doing that via our downloadable archives whether that is over on Spreaker.com, TalkShoe, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and other various internet sources. Well, we're definitely going to be hard and heavy with the NFL talk this week. Is <coughs> a lot of kind of, you know, interesting things to talk about out of the world of the NFL. You got the Vikings losing their first game. <sighs> When I see it was the first time in four years we had a game that ended without a touchdown from either team. In it, we had (coughs) Brock Osweiler heading back to his former home in Denver. We had a sudden retirement in the NFL. It's a lot of stuff, injuries, all that, and it brings me... All this is going to come full circle as we're going to throw it out there, just the lack of depth, the lack of overall talent on rosters in the NFL. I'm going to start with the Vikings as they lost their first game this year, a 21-10 win as they went into Philadelphia. Now, I don't think there was anybody outside of diehard, disillusional Viking fans that had any thought in their head the Vikings were going to go, you know, undefeated. Everybody knew they were going to lose games. The problem is, is I think with this loss, with and how Minnesota lost it, you have to, you know, first off, the question is, have the Vikings been exposed for what they really are and what their true talent level is? Or is this an anomaly, just a great game played by Philly? To me, it had nothing to do with how Philly played. This is all on Minnesota. You look at the Vikings. They are 26th in passing yards this year, 31st in rushing. They're only averaging 74.3 yards uh, per game rushing 31st in total offense. What do we got? 32 teams in the NFL. They have the second to la- you know, they got the next to last offense in the league. They are pitiful on the offensive side. Defense though, on the other hand, definitely one of the best teams on the defensive side. They have, you know, a lot of people say they have the best defense out there. <coughs> but there's no way this team can win on defense alone with this offense. Yes, I know Seattle when, <coughs> you know, they've, they've been one of the best teams in football for years. Now, thanks to their defense. But Seattle's offense was not as inept as what the Vikings have. Carolina 
has had a great defense. Their offense, far from inept this way. Denver, last year when they won the Super Bowl, it was in spite of Manny, not because of him. It was their defense. It was the Wade Phillips coach defense that got him there. But again, their offense wasn't this bad. And a lot of people are going to sit there and blame Sam Bradford for this. A lot of them are going to say, well, this all falls on Sam Bradford. And I, I'm i no fan of Sam Bradford by any stretch of the imagination. Not one bit. You've, If you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know I'm not a Bradford backer. I thought he was overrated even when he was at the University of Oklahoma. But this doesn't all fall on Bradford. It doesn't. You look at their offensive line. Just going through TJ Cummings, second year out of Pittsburgh. Alex Boone, seventh year out of Ohio State. Probably their their top guy on the offensive line. Joe Berger, twelfth year out of Michigan Tech. Michigan Tech. That's what I have listed in front of me. Uh, Brandon Fusco. Six years out of Slippery Rock. Jake Long, who's got to get back into playing shape, but nine years out of Michigan. Jeremiah Sherrill's third year out of Nebraska. These are not big-name players, and they're all, for the most part, backup players. (coughs) These guys are not elite offensive linemen. They're all very much, they are backup players. And it's not giving Bradford any time. And for Bradford to be successful, Bradford needs the time to sit there and not have to worry about pressure. That isn't going to be allowed from this team, not with this offensive line. Another thing that to help Bradford be successful is they need a run game. <coughs> Now, granted, a big problem for the Vikings is you are missing Adrian Peterson. But Jarrett McKinnon has been dinged up. You have Matt Asiata, who's more of a plotting back. He's not a game-breaking back. Ronnie Hillman on the roster, more of a third-down back. Zach Lane, just a fullback. I mean, he's much like Asiata (coughs) is out there. There's no run game, and you look at their wide receiver, Stephon Diggs, who is banged up, but really their biggest weapon, all they have left is Diggs, and everybody knows that. Thielen, he's a number three receiver. Cordell Patterson has flamed out. Kyle Rudolph, a good tight end, but he's not going to really stretch that field. Laquan Treadwell, not showing anything so far as a rookie. It doesn't all fall on Bradford. And I know a lot of Vikings, and I got a lot of Vikings fans. I grew up in Minnesota, so a lot of my friends are Vikings fans, and I see them talk online. This is your team, guys. You've got maybe the best defense in the league. I mean, their defense is fantastic. Watching that game, they are good. (coughs) Granted, they gave up 21 to Philly. But they're a good defense, without a doubt. 
but it's not a defense that you can count on holding teams to under 10 points every game because that's what you're going to need with this Vikings offense. I think a cup, you know, Philly exposed them for what they are. Blitz, blitz hard and heavy and early and often on the Vikings, and their offensive line can't handle it. You have to make Minnesota play from behind, and that's what Philly did, and that's what Philly exposed them for. <coughs> and by doing so, Minnesota doesn't have an offense that can play comeback football. They can't. So what's next for Minnesota? What is next for the Minnesota Vikings? Luckily for them, Monday night, they've got the Chicago Bears. There's a great rebound game for for the Vikings. They, they should be able to get through Chicago fairly easily. <coughs> Though it is in Chicago, which I think will cause a little bit more headaches for them. They have to. They got Detroit at home. Well, Detroit's got a good passing offense. Detroit's got a quick strike offense. Washington and Washington's going to be tough. Arizona. They 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 still have to go play Dallas. They have to go to Green Bay. I mean, this is a team that looking at this, I picked them nine and seven. Well, they're five and one right now. I can see them losing to Washington. I can see them losing to Detroit, to Arizona, to Dallas. Even though Dallas is home, I still can see that being a loss. See a loss in there to Green Bay. I think this is a team that, again, 9-7 is about what it could be, 10-6. and six. <clears throat> I just see Minnesota coming back to earth here. Because Philly's giving you the game plan of how to beat them. And in the NFL, the thing is this. Teams are smart in the NFL. Teams are very smart. Look at what Denver did to the Carolina Panthers last year in the Super Bowl. And everybody's used that as the model now. And it's just blitz, blitz, and blitz some more. Well, that's what's going to happen to the Vikings. And Vikings fans, I hate to tell you this, but that offensive line, you guys are in a world of hurt. But now let's talk about another team that is in a world of hurt. We'll do this one before we go ahead and take our first break. And to show you that, for my Minnesota friends who think I've just turned on Minnesota, and I... I can't say anything bad about a Houston team here. I'm going to, and that's the Houston Texans. Is, now the Texans who fell this weekend, er, on Monday night to Denver, 27-9. to <coughs> The question now with Houston is, is it, and everybody, much like with Minnesota, putting a lot of the blame on Bradford. My question out here for Houston is, is this blame to be cast on Oswheeler, or is this more stuff that needs to fall on, as my wife calls him, butt face because of his chin, fall on Bill O'Brien? <coughs> Excuse me. Minnesota, who is 31st in passing, or 20-something passing, 
Texans are 30th in passing, 18th in rushing yards. They are 29th is their total offense. Not a great offense. And you look at the stats for Oswheeler. So far, he's 156 of 268. That's 58.2 completion percentage. He's thrown for 1,533 yards. That's 5.7 yards per attempt, 219 yards a game. He's thrown eight touchdowns, thrown eight interceptions, got a long of 53. He's been sacked 13 times. Quarterback rating of 71.9, fumbled five times, lost one. <coughs> now, looking at Houston, and like I said, a lot of the blame is going to go on to Oswheeler. But when you look back last year, Brian Hoyer, who <coughs> played 11 games, his completion percentage was only 60.7. 2,606 yards, 19 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, a better ratio than Oswheeler, I will say that. Ryan Mallett was a 53.1 completion percentage, 3 touchdowns, 4 interceptions. T.J. Yates in four games, 49.1, three touchdowns, one interception. Brandon Whedon in two games, 61.9, three touchdowns, no interceptions. <coughs> they haven't had good quarterback play for two straight years. Last year, led in rushing by Alfred Blue. This year, Lamar Miller much better on the rushing game for the Houston Texans and Alfred Blue was. As a matter of fact, I think Blue with the costly fumble on Monday night might be costing himself a load of playing time. <coughs> but is this really all on Oswheeler? Now, much like I talked about with Minnesota, you got to look at the offensive line for the Houston Texans. Dwayne Brown was gone for a good part of the season so far. So was Derek Newton. And by the way, now Derek Newton tore both of his patella tendons. Looks like Newton is gone for the rest of the season. Jeff Allen, who they brought in, pieced in, figured he'd be their answer at left tackle. He hasn't been, he's been injured, trying to get back into their, Xavier Suofilo has not developed into what they thought. So far, he could be in a second year center position, definitely in flux. So again, the offensive line, not anything special for the Houston Texans. But they are getting good run production. As you look at Lamar Miller with 581 yards, so far Miller's averaging 83 yards a game. Blue's chipped in with 161. You've got one of the best wide receivers in DeAndre Hopkins out there. Will Fuller, who they brought in as a first-round draft pick from the uh, from the University of Notre Dame, chipping in as their deep threat out there. And C.J. Fedorowicz, who's really stepped up as a tight end. <coughs> I think this is one that the blame has to be cast as much on Bill O'Brien as it does on Oswheeler, because with all these pieces in place, why are you not fitting a game plan more so to your 70-some million dollar quarterback? But Oswheeler has to be at blame too. I think the the blame here falls on everybody. They talked about with the Texans last night on the game 
or Monday night on the game, and I don't know if you caught this if you listened to it, where Osweiler didn't even visit with the Texans. It was basically phone calls made as he had the same agent as DeAndre Hopkins, and that's how this deal got done. I think a rush by the Texans, O'Brien and his play calling, and Osweiler just being a suspect quarterback at best, has led to the situation. You know, I think Bradford gets far too much heat, and I say that begrudgingly because I'm not a Bradford fan. But here, Osweiler deserves the heat he's getting, but so does Bill O'Brien. So does O'Brien because this heat (coughs) has to be lumped on there too because you know what your quarterback is and is not capable of, and you've got to come up with a game plan to fit that. And so far, Houston is not doing that. They're not doing it at all. So what, and I guess here's my next question for you, and this is I want to hear from people. You can you can get a hold of me, your answers, in a number of ways. You can email me at sportshotdish at yahoo.com, sportshotdish being all one word. You can head over to our Facebook page, give us a like, and drop us a line there. Or if you're listening over on Spreaker, leave me a comment in the comments section. Who lasts the longest in Houston? Bill O'Brien or Brock Osweiler? Now, Osweiler, they're tied in, I think it was it four years, $72 million, I think is what it is with them. Maybe 75, I know it's 70-some million dollars with Osweiler. Or O'Brien, who now, what's it, his second year? third year there I can't I can't remember how long it's been do you say it's on him I think it's going to be easier for them to get rid of Osweiler or not Osweiler I'm sorry Bill O'Brien than it is Osweiler just because of the guaranteed money in the NFL and with that being said though is O'Brien willing to go down and lose his job by trying to stick with Osweiler, or do you say, let's put in Tom Savage? Let's try Brandon Whedon again and sit Osweiler. Because as of right now, when I look at the Texans, I have to say to myself, this is a team that the only way they are going to make the playoffs is the AFC South is pitiful. Four and three, they lead the division because Indian Tennessee are three and four and Jacksonville two and four. <coughs> the only way that they make the playoffs is because this division is so crap. It's absolute crap. But even with that being said, is it does O'Brien just getting in have his job saved? Because it's going to be easier for them to get rid of O'Brien than it is to get rid of Brock Osweiler. And I think, in all honesty, what you're going to see is when this season is over, the Texans were supposed to be a team that were supposed to make a deep playoff run, if not try to get into the Super Bowl, which is going to be held here in Houston, in their home stadium. They don't make that deep playoff run. Bill O'Brien is gone. Now, who takes over that? I don't know, but he's gone. 
But just like I think, you know, the you look at the Texans lineup and there's good talent there. But again, it's not, they got skilled talent. Offensive line is weak. Offensive line is weak. And I think O'Brien, in the end, he will be gone, but I think it's also going to be a scapegoat move to get rid of him. Well, we're going to go ahead and take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to stick on this talk of talent in the NFL. We're going to look at a quarterback situation. We're going to look at a running back situation, which has resolved itself, and more when we come back here on the Sports Hot Dish. So stick with us, folks. We'll see you in just a few. you save your mother your father your husband uncle and son learn fast f-a-s-t the sudden signs of a stroke and you could save your friend your best friend teacher boss coach f face drooping a arm weakness s speech difficulty t time to call 911 f-a-s-t face arm speech time that's f face drooping a arm weakness s speech difficulty T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Hey, parents of children with asthma, here's the Breathe Easies with another one of your favorite hits. Don't smoke in the house. Don't smoke in the house. Don't smoke around the kids. In the house. Don't smoke in the car. Don't smoke in the house. Don't break my Preventing asthma attacks can be as simple as making your home and car smoke-free zones. For more Breathe Easy tips to help stop asthma attacks, go to noattacks.org. Up next, well, what do you know? The Breathe Easies with another hit song, Vacuum Up the Floor. Vacuum up the floor. Vacuum up the floor. Vacuum up the floor. Simple steps can help your kids breathe easier. Vacuum up the floor to keep your house free of dust, dander, and dust mites. For more Breathe Easy tips to help stop asthma attacks, go to noattacks.org. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Walks into the outhouse. The cold night breathes into her face. Lies are standing still now. The moon it spills through the place. 
And we're back here. Geez, that came out of break real fast. And hey, thanks for sticking with us so far around the sports hot dish. Well, might have missed this one. Sunday, right after, I'm sorry, Monday. Yep, right, you know, the day after the Miami Dolphins beat the Buffalo Bills after Jay Ajay went out for his second straight 200-plus yard game. Arian Foster announces his retirement from the NFL. Foster just saying that his body couldn't hold up any longer. So far this year, Foster had only played in four of the seven games from for the Miami Dolphins. Had 22 carries for 55 yards, a 13.8 yards per game average, 2.5 yards per attempt. Had a long and nine, no touchdowns for Foster. He also chipped in six receptions for 78 yards. <coughs> there... Uh, did not have a touchdown there either. Foster, who came into the league as a undrafted free agent out of the University of Tennessee with the Houston Texans in 2009, a four-time 1,000-yard rusher. Uh, 2010, he had 1,616 yards. 2011, 1,224 yards. 1,424 yards in 2012. And 2014, had 1,246. But injuries plagued Foster really throughout his career. Any year that, as other years besides those, with the exception of his rookie year, always banged up. <coughs> now... Him walking away, and the thing with Foster is he's always been a little bit of a flake. <laughs> Maybe the best way to put it. Was his move by Foster to walk away more having to do with J.I.J.'s breakout two games and the fact of knowing that your time there in Miami was done than it did with his body? <clears throat> I think so. I really do. But don't get me wrong. I don't think Foster had a lot left in the tank even before this season. I thought it was more of a desperation move by the Miami Dolphins to pick him up. And now it's, you know, it's come to what it is. But you look at, you know, now with Miami, yes, J.I.J., who has had two great games. But there's not much left at depth with Miami outside of that. You got rookie Kenyon Drake out of the University of Alabama and Damian Williams, a third year back out of Oklahoma. The depth is not there with Miami. For Miami, they better hope that Ajay stays healthy. Now, I'm not saying, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Ajay is going to continue to rack up games like this. You know, he's going to come back to earth. It pains me to say he's on my fantasy team, but he's going to come back to earth. He's going to start to, you know, resemble what he really is. But this is a, you know, ter even last year when they had Lamar Miller, who's looking good with Houston, Ajay looked better than him. They bring in Foster 
And then the move backfires. Now, was there really is was this the best option Miami had out there? Was Arian Foster? You know, I don't know. You know, really, I don't know if uh, Forsett has been picked up, and I don't know. Like I said, I don't know about him. I know Ray Rice is still sitting out there, but was this the only thing, the only player that Miami had to look at? I don't have a list of tons of free agents out there, but was that it? Was this the best they could do, and now it's backfired on them, and they've wasted money and wasted time with Arian Foster? Now, to me, I'll be honest, I'm glad that Foster is finally gone because this is a guy that, to me, was taking up roster space almost right from the beginning. He's not that great. He's not the same Arian Foster you saw in those three big years in Houston when he strung three straight together. (laughs) He's not. And the desperation move, I mean, you could say it paid off because, you know, now you've motivated Ajay, and he's showing you what he truthfully can do, though I think over exceeding the past couple weeks. But still a great, you know, the time and money you wasted on Foster, all for naught. (laughs) And now we got a couple quarterback situations I want to talk about here. And the first one, the New York Jets. After Ryan Fitzpatrick got off to a horrible start through the first six games of the season, this week the Jets turned to Geno Smith. Geno, who started their 24-16 win over Baltimore, but went out early, tore up his knee, lost for the season, possibly the career done now for Geno Smith, and they go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. But Fitzpatrick had made a comment that when the owner gives up on you, the GM gives up on you, the coach gives up on you, all you can do is, you know, fall, believe in yourself. With Fitzpatrick's comments like that, is this just even a lost cause in New York for playing him? Should they now start going with either Christian Hackenberg or Bryce Petty, who we talked about on last week's show, as their starting quarterbacks? (laughs) Is it time to say, let's turn the page? The great thing, though, for them this week is they've got Cleveland, so Fitzpatrick has a chance to actually show something but even with that being said, when you know that you already have so much friction, so much conflict between your quarterback and your management of the team and your coach of the team, is it time to just say, let's turn the ball over to the young guys? Let's see what they can do. <laughs> I almost got to say yes. Because I think what you're going to have now is a serious dysfunction going on in New York. It's not going to work leaving Fitzpatrick there when you know you're going to have tension between him 
and the coaching staff, between him and the GM. You know, you look at Fitzpatrick's numbers, 136 of 237, a 57.4 completion percentage, 1,561 yards, 6.6 yards per attempt, 223 yards a game, six touchdowns, a league-leading 11 interceptions. Along the 41, he's been sacked four times. No, I'm sorry, 12 times. Fumble 5 has not lost one. He's chipped in 73 yards on 17 carries for the Jets. Again, though, the Jets, you know, he talks about no confidence, yet when you look at the Jets' offensive line, shambles. But you got to say now, with those comments, it's time for either Petty or Hackenberg to take over there. But why go back to Fitzpatrick? Why are we going to go back to Fitzpatrick? Well, I'm going to get to that answer. I'm at least my speculation on that answer after we talk about one more team, and that's the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams, with an ugly loss in London to the New York Giants, 17-10, to <coughs> in which case Keenum threw four interceptions. Keenum, the starting quarterback there, and has played every snap for the Los Angeles Rams. He's 147 of 237, 62 uh, completion percentage there, 1,708 yards, 7.2 yards per attempt, 244 yards a game, eight touchdowns, 10 interceptions, along a 65, sacks 16 times. He's fumbled four times, has lost one, has also chipped in 40 yards on the ground. Numbers like that, horrible numbers, yet Jeff Fisher has come out and said he will not take Case Keenum out to put in the number one draft pick of Jared Goff. Now, a lot of people wondering, is it the fact that Goff, is Goff already a bust? You know, and you know I love Case Keenum. Like me, Case is an alumni from the University of Houston, a guy that I do nothing but hold out the most hope for to do great in the league. But it is what it is. Case is not getting the job done. So why is Goff not getting getting in for L.A.? Why is Goff sitting on the bench? Well, why is Bryce Petty record-setting with Baylor? sitting on the bench. Why is Christian Hackenberg, who led, especially when Bill O'Brien was there, led Penn State back to respectability, sitting on the bench? Why was J.I.J. sitting on the bench behind an Arian Foster? Why is a guy like Sam Bradford struggling when what he did in college? I know I say he was overrated in college, but hey, you can't argue with it. Well, is it the talent level of the NFL? You know, you could say it is the lack of talent in the NFL 
and I know I wanted to I'll spin this around to the talent level or maybe lack thereof in the NFL. And I do think it is that. I do think it's a lack of talent, but not in the way that you're going to, you know, you're already probably saying, oh, come on, Kevin. These guys are some of the most talented guys, even the backups. And you're right. It's a lack of talent in terms to how the NFL coaches want to play the game. These guys, a lot of them, you look at Goff, look at Petty. Hell, look at what Keenum did in Houston where he set records. Bradford. Oswheeler. (laughs) The old style with the NFL, yeah, it's a lack of talent that way. But I think it's more so a lack of using the talent properly. If you haven't went and watched a high school, if you no, I'm assuming. Let me start off by saying this. I'm assuming if you're listening to this show, you're like me. You will watch football, not only the pros, but on Saturdays, really a lot of times Thursday nights, because normally the Thursday night game for the NFL sucks. You'll watch college football as well when it's on. And you notice with college football a vastly different game than what you see in the NFL. And let me tell you, if you haven't done this, go watch some high school football. You know, living here in Texas, and where my wife went to school is, granted she was a number of years, quite a few years ahead of him, but was the same uh, high school that Andrew Luck had went. So we had went and watched Luck play back when he was a sophomore. We went to a lot of the games there at uh, Stratford High School, uh, the Spring Branch Stratford here. The high school teams are running the same type of offenses you see in college. So from in the youth, you know, I we had a guy that lived across the way from us whose kid, he was a youth football coach. (laughs) And saying how the youth, and I mean, when I'm talking youth, I mean, this kid was in elementary school. But they were running the same type of offenses that the high schools were running and then that the colleges were running. You know, I'm sure not to the extensive degree, but it was still at that style of offense. So you see this stuff. These kids are groomed this way from the time they put on the pads. And they go and learn this. And then when they get to the NFL, when they're, you know, 20, 21, 22, whatever age it might be, and they're falling apart. They're not being able to use that talent that got them there. And this is, like I say, where I'm trying to weave this all into a talent aspect. There is a lack of talent, a lack of talent, old school NFL talent is the way, maybe the best way I'm trying to put it, that plot along, grind away, you know, get the, the two tight ends set, get the, Throw a fullback in there. 
run out of an eye. Because these kids aren't doing it from the time they, they first get into football. So now you're asking them for, you know, take 16 years of learning. Let's, let, let's say that. 16, 17 years of learning. Or whatever they start. And scrap it and learn the NFL style. And I know a lot of people are out there probably saying, well, Kevin, it's football. You're right, it is football. But when they've had certain type of blocking schemes, certain types of routes, uh, you know, holes that they're supposed to hit, you know, on that offensive side, you're asking these guys, it's like to relearn a language after doing it for almost 20 years. That's why we're seeing this lack of talent. That's why we're seeing it. What we're seeing, where we've got the number one overall quarterback riding the pines. Now I know some are going to say, well, you know, look at what Wentz has done. Look at what Dax Prescott has done. You're right. Look what they've done. But look at the style of offense they're in. They're in more of the style that they used with college. Look at what Chip Kelly was able to do. Granted, it was a short period of time. Coaches started to catch on. And I'm not saying that everybody's got to go to that fast break style offense. Like Kelly runs. But look at when Kelly had the right quarterback in to run his system. He was effective. There is a lack of NFL talent for the old school NFL. And it's time that the NFL coaches realize that you cannot. I was talking with a buddy and it was about something I was trying to learn. And I'm like, you know, maybe that saying's right. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, maybe that is the case here is you can't teach a lot of, you know, these guys at 27 years old, let's call them old dogs. They've been doing this for 16 years. You can't teach those old dogs new tricks and how to be a different style of player, especially on that offensive side of the ball, once they hit the NFL. And that's leading to games like we saw there on the Sunday night game, where you have football that's absolutely putrid, where you have the likes of an offensive powerhouse, granted, a lot of injuries with them in Arizona and a team that's much better on the offensive side than they've shown, mainly because I think their quarterback is much more hurt than he wants to let on. In Seattle with Russell Wilson, each put up, what, six points? you got to let these guys go. To use a horse racing analogy, because if you listen again to the show for any length of time, you know I'm a horse racing fan. You just got to let let loose of the reins and let these guys play the way they have played their entire lives. If you do that, you are going to start to see a much more exciting NFL, a much more watchable NFL. Because right now the NFL is getting to the point it's almost unwatchable. Because you've got guys who have played a certain way their entire life and now they're coming, having to learn this new skill and it's just It's turning into garbage football. It really is. 
Now, if you disagree with me, you think I'm off base again, I'm giving you the information on how to get a hold of me. Do it. Tell me if I'm off base. But to me, what we're seeing right now is absolute garbage football. Plain and simple. Well, we're going to go ahead and take our last break, but then, hey, it's World Series time. I'll touch base on that real quick and anything else I can fit in right here on the Sports Hot Dish. So stick with us, folks. We'll see you in just a few. He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound just like no bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Some never mind them brakes. Let it all hang out cause we got to run to make. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, Be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council. This is Namdi Asamoah. I play football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I do off the field with United Way might be more important. I'm a volunteer tutor and mentor. Why? Because over a million kids a year drop out of school, and that's not okay. It takes 12 years to create a graduate, but it takes about the same time to create a dropout. And the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be me, or it could be you. Studies show that if we get to these kids earlier, their chances are better. And kids who read well by third grade are more likely to graduate. So join me in United Way. Suit up and take the pledge. Become a volunteer reader, tutor, or mentor. Because when a child succeeds, we all succeed. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way, the Ad Council, and the National Football League. Stay here. 
And we're back here for our closing segment of the Sports Hot Dish. And, well, before we touch base real quick on the World Series, let's go through the week that was and a quick little bit of talk on the Barclays Premier League and look at what will be coming up this week and look at the games on Sunday. You had Bournemouth. These are the games, I'm sorry, on Saturday. Bournemouth and Tottenham Hotspurs, a nil-nil draw there. West Ham United at home defeated Sunderland 1-0. Swansea City and Watford drew nil-nil. Leicestershire a 3-1 victor at home over Crystal Palace. Stoke City won in the Hull, defeated them 2-0. Burnley a 2-1 victor over Everton. Arsenal and Middleborough drew 0-0. And Liverpool a 2-1 victor over West, West Bromwich Albion. Games on Sunday. You had Manchester City and Southampton at Manchester City, a 1-1 draw there. And Chelsea clobbering Manchester United at Stamford Bridge, the home of Chelsea, 4-0. Looking at our standings through nine weeks of the Barclays Premier League, we have no changes in the top four. Manchester City still stays on top, followed by Arsenal, Liverpool. Uh, I'm sorry, the top two have stayed the same. Chelsea, Liverpool moving up to third place. Chelsea moves up to fourth. Tottenham Hotspurs drops down to fifth. Arsenal is in sixth. Manchester United in seventh. Southampton eighth. Watford moves up to ninth. And Bournemouth moves into the top half of the table there in tenth. Crystal Palace falls to 11th. Leicestershire up to 12th place. West Brom falls to 13th. Burnley stays in 14th place. West Ham United stays in 15th. Stoke City is up to 16th place. Middleborough holds firm in 17th, falling two spots to the first spot in the relegation zone in 18th place is Hull City. Swansea City still sits firm in 19th place and Sunderland in 20th spot. (coughs) Games this weekend on Saturday, the early game sees Sunderland playing host to Arsenal. The middle round of games on Saturday, Manchester United hosts Burnley. Middleborough hosts Bournemouth. Tottenham Hotspurs plays host to Leicestershire. Watford plays host to Hull City. West Bromwich Albion plays host to Manchester City. The late game on Saturday sees Crystal Palace playing host to Liverpool. Two games on Sunday. Everton at uh, Goodison Park plays host to West Ham United. And Chelsea heads to St. Mary's Stadium to take on Southampton. One game on Halloween. You have Stoke City playing host to Swansea. And the big 4-0 victor by Chelsea over Manchester United. (coughs) Spoiling the return of Jose Mourinho to Chelsea, their former coach. A lot of people, you know, really jumping on this one. The problem is, you know, we brought this up before. Again, you can't really fault Mourinho. They've got to bring in better teams here or better players. You look at Man U, through their nine matches played, they've scored 13, but they've also given up 12. They just don't have a lot of defense out there. They do not have a stellar defense. Granted, Phil Jones has been injured. They need to get him back. Luke Shaw is building back into match form. Smalling, um, Marcus Rojo, he hasn't played much this year. One appearance. Daily Blind, again, not showing the speed needed on the back end. Antonio Valencia has become a very good right back, but still not the right back they need. Mateo uh, 
Uh, Darmian, the Italian defender, hasn't played at all, just taking up spots. There's just not a lot defensively for Manchester United. This is a team that, again, <coughs> you're going to have to blow them up and start from scratch for them to be successful. So a lot of people have, you know, kind of asked me, is this really, you know, how do I feel about it? It's going to be a a little bit of time before Man U gets to where they should be. So I'm not upset about what I'm seeing so far. I didn't think Mourinho was going to come in there and make them a team that was going to be dominant right from word go. As a matter of fact, I wasn't sure he was really the right answer in the beginning because of what they have there. But the pieces are, you know, some are there. They just need to add on the defensive side. And I think really getting rid of Wayne Rooney. I can't speak right now. (laughs) Wayne Rooney to get rid of him. But, hey, if you're listening in on Wednesday over here on Full Gamut Radio, you know that we the World Series kicked off on Tuesday. No result that I'm going to hand out for that because, well, I'm actually laying this down before the game. You know, if you listen to this over on Full Gamut Radio, it's actually pre-recorded, not live. But we've got the two longest routes in Major League Baseball. Cubs have not won since, what was it, 1908, and it's been, I think, 67 years since Cleveland has won the World Series. My question, everybody, is, is this really Cleveland against the world as to who's going to be pulling for the Chicago, you know, fan base in this? Now, I grew up, once we got cable, like in the Chicago Cubs. If not really for the Cubs themselves, but I love their broadcasters. When we first got cable, it was Jack Brickhouse, and it became Harry Carey. I love, it was more the broadcasters. It was Wrigley Field. It was everything like that. But I've always had a good soft spot in my heart for the Cubs. I know that uh, Ron, uh, management over here at Full Game and Radio, which is actually based out of Chicago, I know he's got to be happy to see the Cubs get in there and pull in for him. And is that the thing? Is everybody going to be pulling for the Cubs in this World Series unless you live or just a diehard fan of the Cleveland Indians? I think I might have called them Cleveland Browns before. If I did, I do apologize. It's got to happen because, you know, at least for me, not even growing up, you know, kind of a Cubs fan, I'd like to see the Cubs do this just so we can quit hearing about the freaking curse. Let the Cubs win this so we can stop hearing about this freaking curse and this stinking goat. Let them get this. Let them get this win. Now, for Cleveland, I know they're going to look at it as if they can win the World Series the same year they win the NBA championship. It's hog heaven there in Cleveland. It actually makes having to have the Browns in town, you know, not so painful. (laughs) But more people are going to be pulling for the Cubs than anybody. And I'd like to see them do it because... Over a hundred years of futility, I think it would be the ideal thing. Get the Cubs their win. Let them have it. And, you know, it would finally be one of those things where you finally get the team everybody was predicting from the start to win the World Series. I know I'd like to see it. I'd like to see the Cubs do this and just end this curse 
give the people of Chicago what they want, what they've been seeing for so long, what they've been dreaming for. Now, yes, that means Cleveland then goes to the longest route without, and then it would actually move, I mean, whoever wins this, moves up Texas and Houston, which are approaching both coming up on 60 years since they've won a World Series. But I think that's a lot more palatable than having the Cubs go now, what's it going to be, like 109 years? God, it's just so long since they've won one, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but... I know I'm pulling for the Cubbies in this. I want to see Wrigley. Feel, I'd love to see it, you know, happen too at Wrigley, where they could win it. I just want to see it finally end. Let's quit the talk, get them their victory. <coughs> and no, I'm not kissing up to station management over on full gamut. I actually want to see them win it. I really do. But hey, that's pretty much going to wind up what we're talking about today. I want to thank everybody for listening in. If you're listening in over on Full Gamut Radio, stay tuned for Found Cuts with Dave Newfeld. And don't forget, every 11 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, you got Mike Overnight with his show. And don't forget, you can also catch uh, Ron on the radio every 4 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, as he does an hour of live music. Then... Followed by, he's also on 9 p.m. Central Live with a Till Midnight. Good shows there. And if you haven't listened to Full Gamut Radio yet, head on over to fgrn.net and give it a listen. A lot of great shows, a lot of great music, a lot of good variety. Guarantee you will be able to find something you like. You will not be disappointed. But until next week, folks. Once again, I am Kevin here in Houston, Texas, signing off. But let's go ahead and have our friend Lawrence take us on home. So until next week, folks, Auf Wiedersehen. Good night, good night, until we meet.